Well, let's take a few minutes and study together. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of Passover. We want to end well. And one of the great Hasidic traditions is to have a last Seder on the last day of Passover, a Seder that is interestingly called the Meal of Messiah. And it includes two particular things, cups of wine and matzah. And during this time, every Hasid is told that they should search their hearts, examine themselves before God, and pray for the coming of Messiah and for his leadership in their lives. And because of so many Jewish people praying for Messiah to come, we are here. <laughs> and because he's answered our prayers. I remember when it was, it was a period of several years we were traveling back and forth to the former Soviet Union, meeting Jewish people who had come to Yeshua every week. It was just such an awesome time. And so many Jewish people had the same story. Their grandfather, their great-grandfather was a rabbi. And he was praying for the coming of Messiah. And he, and he instilled in his family to pray for Messiah to come. And we would laugh together and say, if he knew the answer to that prayer was all of us, can you imagine? But the fact is embedded in Jewish life, in Jewish prayers, is this prayer that God would quickly send Messiah. And I want to encourage you at all times to be praying for the coming of Messiah to yet another person who's seeking, to yet another person who, who needs him. And may God use you to bring good news to other people. Be bold, be courageous. Don't be afraid, don't hide when you have the opportunity. We want to end our Passover well. It's so fitting that on this last day of Passover is also the day when we celebrate the meal of Messiah, Sedat HaMashiach. And we also remember what Yeshua taught us about, about Passover and Messiah. So we love to learn from the first Passover. We love to learn from other Passovers. And we love to learn from Yeshua's Passover. And we want to take time to remember Yeshua's last Pesach, the final Seder that he celebrated with his disciples. I want to ask you if you have Bibles to turn to Mark chapter 14. And the Torah portion we read this week on this last day of Passover, reminds us to keep the Pesach, to keep the Passover, to observe it and to keep it. And this will give you, as we're reading in Mark, it'll give you some context. And as we read in 1 Corinthians as well, it'll give you some context for how the first generation uh, implemented that. Well, Mark 14, starting in verse 3, 
describes an event that takes place just a few days before Passover. And it says, being at Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as Yeshua sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. When I think of Bethany, I think of a time when Sandy and I were in Israel. We had rented a car. We were driving, trying to get to uh, Qumran. And it was before the days of GPS, and we were trying to navigate using an old Israeli map that uh, the Department of Tourism provided. And somehow we, we thought we were going the right way. We ended up on the Mount of Olives. And we were headed down what we thought was the right direction. And there was a, an Arab selling postcards. And he had like these postcards that were accordion style. You know, you grab the top and... And he was holding these up. Well, he's in a very animated way, he jumped in front of our car. And I thought, this is not a good way to sell anything. You could get yourself killed. And he's shaking and stopping, you know, doing everything he can to get us to stop. And I do stop. And then he carefully walks over to us. And I think, you know, this is an awkward moment. And somehow he convinces me to roll down the window, which I do. And then he tells us, don't go that way. It's to Bethany. And it was during the time that the Intifada was breaking out. He said, you have a Jewish car. Yes. Yeah. He said, don't go that way. You have a Jewish car. It, it, what that meant is there was an Israeli license plate on it. And he said, they will stone you. So he rescued us from going to Bethany. I bought all his postcards. <laughs> and he pointed us in a different direction so we could go to Qumran safely. So when I was reading this, I was just associating, you know, my near-death experience at Bethany. Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, there's, there's some question, who is the Simon is he currently a leper? And most people think, no, he's not currently a leper. He was a leper, but he got healed by Yeshua. And so they're gathering at his house. Can you imagine that just to have fellowship at the leper's house, that this is, this is a great act of worship and celebration. This guy was healed. He used to have leprosy, and now he's whole. Now he's clean. They're gathering there, and Simon the leper is opening up his home. He's to be distinguished from Simon the fisherman or Simon the old prophet who was in Jerusalem at the temple when Yeshua was brought in for Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn. This is Simon the leper. It could be Simon the former leper, but that's not how you get named in, in, in the Bible. Simon the leper, and Yeshua is sitting at his table. And Yeshua is having fellowship there. He's enjoying the hospitality. Simon the leper is 
special because he's opening up his house. He's a hospitable person. And this shows us how God can work when we're hospitable. Some people love to use the gift of hospitality. You just love to serve people. But I can tell you this, everyone who's hospitable can experience blessings from God. Let's, let's read what happens. A woman came to Yeshua. She had an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask open and poured it on Yeshua's head. There were some who were indignant among themselves, and they said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. So I want you to contrast what was happening. This woman is engaging in an extravagant act of worship. She's taking something precious, expensive, something that everybody knows is expensive. So this is name brand expensive perfume. Very expensive. And she's pouring it on Yeshua, and she's engaging in, and then on the other side are the critics. And they're all in the room together. And this is the first criticism. This fragrant oil was wasted. This woman is pouring it on Yeshua, and they're thinking to themselves, they're not just thinking, they're saying it out loud. This is a waste. They don't understand what's going on. The second criticism is this. It was expensive. It could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. They're making this value judgment against the woman. She's freely pouring this out on Yeshua. And they are saying, what a waste of something good. This is the contrast. And let's see how Yeshua handles it. Yeshua says, leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She's done a good work for me. Leave her alone. Don't make trouble for her. She's done something good for me. You see, their eyes didn't even perceive what was going on. They thought the only thing that was happening is money was being poured down the drain. And interestingly, and you'll see this in Yeshua's further responses, Yeshua's seeing through their criticism. Their criticism is, this could have been given to the poor. Look how, exp- how much money it represents. And actually, they're being critical because they would have wanted her to give it to the poor. You see? And so look at Yeshua's further response, verse 7. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever... You wish you may do them good, but me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. So Yeshua sees through the criticism. He says, listen, there are always going to be poor people, and you can always be generous to them. But what's really going on with the critics is they're not trying to be generous to the poor. They want her to be generous to the poor. They want to reach into her pocket, get 300 denarii, and force her to give it to the poor. That's not their generosity. 
That's just criticism. There are times when you will do something that maybe costs a lot of time, maybe it costs a lot of money, maybe it involves a lot of your resources, but it's in service to the Lord. And other people may not understand it. And they may just be critical. Why did you do that? You could have done this. And Yeshua's response is, you want to give 300 denarii to the poor? Go home, get your 300 denarii, and find poor to give it to. You can do that all the time. There are always people in need. So Yeshua sees right through it. But he says to the group, you're not always going to have me. You see, this is right before Passover, and Yeshua understands what's going to happen in the next few days. And he's not morose. He's not despondent. Some people face death uh, very poorly. Yeshua faced it with great anticipation because he knew what was on the other side. It reminds me of Moses when Moses found out he was about to die and that he would not go into the promised land. He didn't sulk. He celebrated. He thanked the Lord because he'd had a great run with the Lord. He thanked the Lord because he knew, okay, the hard work's over. Now I want to leave something with Israel. Israel, worship the Lord. Israel, remember God's greatness. Israel, give thanks to the Lord. Never forget how awesome he is. And then he goes up on a mountain, and he and the Lord have the last moments together, and then that's the end. And if I understand correctly, the Lord saw to the burial. Well, in a similar way, Yeshua is preparing for his death, and he knows something that others around him have had difficulty accepting because they believe that it's not right for Messiah to suffer. They want to go immediately into the messianic era of ruling over the redeemed creation and sovereignty for the state of Israel and the Jewish people. And they don't understand that Messiah must suffer, and he must pay a price. But Yeshua understands that. So here he is just a couple of days before Pesach, knowing the time is coming close to when he will suffer, and he will suffer greatly. But he's celebrating And where does he pick to celebrate? Bethany. And isn't Bethany also the place where Lazarus lived? And so it's also the place where there's been a big commotion. Because Yeshua has raised Lazarus from the dead. And do you remember when when he was, when Lazarus was in the grave and Yeshua went there and Lazarus' sisters, you know, thought, oh, he still smells, he stinks. You know, he's been in the grave too long. You don't want to open that grave. Don't open the grave. It's going to stink. But Lazarus came out, and uh, it was a party after that. So Bethany's a rocking place. And you can understand that Yeshua would want to spend his last days there. And there's a woman. She's got something precious. She pours it on Yeshua. Mainly people are critical of her. But Yeshua understands what she's doing and what it means, and how precious it is to him. And so he says, this woman's doing something special for me. She's done what she could. She's come beforehand 
to anoint my body for burial. So Yeshua attaches prophetic significance to this. This woman grasps somehow that I am going to be buried. I'm going to die. And she's pouring out this precious oil on me, and she's preparing me as if I were already dead. And then Yeshua says one more thing, verse 9. I say to you, wherever this good news, this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Yeshua understands how important this kind of extravagant worship is to him. But he says, it's not just important to me, it's going to be important forever to people who hear about this. And Yeshua says, from this point on, wherever the gospel, the good news, is proclaimed to people, they're going to know about what happened today in Bethany when this woman poured her expensive, costly oil on me. Yeshua is taking it very personally and saying, this is so precious to me, I'm going to make sure everybody knows about it. So the Holy Spirit inspires Mark. Mark, write about that. Include that in your account. Because I want everyone to remember what this woman did for me. What this woman did for the last days that Yeshua had on this earth. And then I want you to think also about Yeshua's attitude. He was staring death in the face and he's still celebrating. He was facing criticism but he's still celebrating. He was in the middle of human mishmash and mishugash, and he's still celebrating. Sometimes we so much want the world to be perfected and to be the way that we want it to be in the future that we can't live it the way it really is right now. Yeshua seemed to have no trouble living in the world as it was. Now let's skip over a few verses, Mark 14, verse 22 and 23. They're at Passover Seder, Yeshua's last Seder. One last Seder for Yeshua. It says, as they were eating, Yeshua took, I'm going to read to you, if you don't mind, from the New King James Version, just so that we can look at the translation and what's typical in translations. It says, Jesus took bread blessed and broken and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took bread. So that raises the question, was it like brioche? A nice baguette? Was it pita bread? Lavash? Was it sourdough bread? Was it whole grain? Was it organic? We know it wasn't GMO. But what kind of bread was it? Matzah. So why doesn't it just say he took matzah? Because that's the only option. Do you get it? It should say he took matzah. Because everybody understands that at Passover, you're not having challah. You're having matzah. And this even predates Manischewitz matzah. And then it says he blessed. 
Well, he did not bless the bread. He didn't bless matzah. He blessed the Lord because that is the way that Jewish people make a blessing. And they say, blessed are you, baruchat anai. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, king of the universe. And he made a bracha. That's what he did. He took matzah, he made a bracha. And then he broke it. Now, it all makes sense. Have you, have you ever tried to break a fresh uh, challah loaf out of the oven? You can't really break it. You can bend it. You can pull it apart or tear it, but you can't break it. You can break matzah, though. In fact, that's the only way you can share it, is to break it. There are two old blessings, traditional blessings associated with the eating of matzah. One, one of the brachot is alachilat matzah, who commands us to eat matzah, because we're not only commanded to abstain from leavened bread, we're commanded to eat matzah. And so during Pesach, we should eat matzah every day. Lots of matzah. I hope you ate a lot of matzah. Lots of matzah. Yeah. My weakness, matzah with plugra butter. If you don't know what plugra is, you should check that out. Sandy, is that a weakness of ours? Yeah. Yeah, you start eating it, you have to drag yourself out of the kitchen. It's so delicious. So the other, the other bracha is the, the normal hamotzi um, who brings forth bread from the earth that we say whenever we eat any kind of bread. And remember this, in old Hebrew, lechem meant not only bread, it meant also body or flesh. So if Yeshua is using those blessings, he's affirming two things. One of them is that it's his, his way the Jewish way, to eat matzah during Pesach. And also he's making this prophetic declaration, which is, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, but the poetry and the prophetic side is, who brings forth the body from the earth. And so he's breaking matzah, and he's blessing God, and he's anticipating the resurrection. And in fact, every time we say hamotzi, we are not only thanking the Lord for giving us bread, we are anticipating resurrection. And then he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them. When he'd made a bracha, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. This is my blood of the new covenant, and it's shed for many. And so he's taking the the matzah and he's taking the cup from the Passover Seder and he's giving meaning and significance to what he's doing. And, and this is right before he lays down his life. He's celebrating the Lord. The, he's celebrating the resurrection. He's celebrating Passover. He's anticipating what's going to happen. And we see in these moments that it is for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Now, as a Messianic community, we remember the exodus from Egypt and the redemption from slavery, the freedom that God purchased for us. 
And as Rabbi Yuri pointed out earlier today, we're, we have not completed our responsibility until we feel that it was us who was delivered. As if we were the ones who were there and it was yesterday. And we were the ones who got delivered. And so we enter into that as, as Messianic Jews. And we also contemplate something. What does it mean to have had a Passover where the angel of death came to kill the firstborn? But God passed over us. How did he pass over? That's the question. The Hebrew is very clear. He skipped through the land the way uh, a bouncing sheep skips through a pasture. And wherever he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, on the frame of the doors of a house, he stood in front of that house and forbade the angel of death from coming into the house. And that gives us a picture. How could God do that? Now, I've been thinking a lot about modern traditional Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, and some of the ways that it has developed and some of the understandings that it's developed, um, some of which are precious and dear and incredibly important, and some of them I think are worth reevaluating. And even though Maimonides is one of the great sages of, of the Jewish people and his work has been authoritative, there's something that we have to keep in mind about Maimonides. Maimonides lived in an Islamic country under the rule of Islam. And Islam believes that God, the one God, is unknowable, immaterial, and never present here on this earth. And so it's in that context, and you can understand when... when religions have hegemony. They have governmental authority over lands. You have to live within the terms of what they tolerate. You could see from the history of Spain the experience that the Jews had living there was not an easy experience. And both under Islam and under Catholicism it was difficult for them. But under Islam I believed it was under the influence of Islamic thinking about the immateriality of God and the distance of God, that Maimonides developed some of his thoughts, including one, that God has no body, and that he cannot be physically present on this earth. And yet it was the testimony of Moses that God came down from heaven and stood next to him. And this is in Torah. It's the testimony of Abraham that God came down and ate with him. It's the testimony of Jacob that God came down and wrestled with him. And so we could say whatever kind of body God does have, it enters into this time-space world. And so I've been thinking about this. How did God actually stop the angel of death? He stopped by being present in this real world that we live in and forcefully forbidding the angel of death from coming in. He personally stopped the angel of death. So God was present. 
God was in this world. In the same way that the angel of death entered into this world and showed his mark by taking the life of the firstborn, God entered into the world and protected the firstborn of those who had the blood of the Lamb. And so it was presence against presence, one spiritual force entering into our time-space world, another spiritual force standing guard and protecting. We say every, every close of service, may the Lord bless and keep you, but that, that second word is not just keep you, it's keep watch over you and stand guard and protect you. Shomer, Yisrael, the watchman of Israel is on guard duty and he is active in protecting you. So with that in mind, we think clearly about Passover and the Exodus and we understand the answer to the question when people say, well, if Yeshua is real, where do we read about him in Torah? We should have good answers for that. But we also remember the Passover lamb. We remember Yeshua. And, and I want you to turn, this is the last passage we'll look at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about Yeshua. And in this passage, it's, it's worth taking note of what he expected them to already understand. He says, get rid of the old chametz, get rid of the old leaven. Now, why would that make sense? To anybody. You go to an Eskimo who's never read the Bible, never heard about anything, and say, get rid of your chametz. He'll say, what's chametz? Okay, get rid of your leavened bread. Okay, what's bread? What's 11? But for the Corinthians, they're understanding this. And that teaches us something. They've already developed a foundational understanding of Jewish life and Jewish ways. Get rid of the old chamet so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. These terms would make no sense at all to someone who was unfamiliar with Passover. On the other hand, if you knew about Passover, if you knew about getting rid of the chametz, if you knew about eating matzah, if you knew about the Passover lamb, this would make sense. And then Paul gives an explanation. And it's not the explanation that may appeal to some people who would say, because we love the Jewish festivals, because we're committed to the Hebrew roots. No. It's not because of affections of those kinds. It's this, because Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. His logic, his appeal is what Yeshua has done because of who Yeshua is. It's not based on affection. I have great affection for Passover. It's my favorite Jewish holiday. It's my favorite holiday of any kind. But it's not because of affection that Paul is speaking about this, it's because of what it actually stands for. 
Passover is meaningful to us because we were delivered out of Egypt, because God did protect the firstborn, because he did guide us and direct us out of slavery into freedom, because he did give us Torah, but also because Yeshua is our Passover lamb. And each one of us has a doorpost. It's the doorpost of our hearts. And the blood of the lamb can be applied to that doorpost. Messiah, our Pesach lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, verse 8, therefore let us keep the festival. What festival? What festival? Pesach. So why doesn't it say Pesach? It's the only correct translation. Because it's clear, Chametz, Matzah, Pesach, Mashiach, there's only one festival. with, With due respect to our Gentile Christian brothers, he's not talking about keeping Easter. And he, what's that Seinfeld holiday? Festivus. Yeah, he's not talking about Festivus either. He's not talking about Memorial Day, the 4th of July. He's talking about Pesach. Okay, so let's, let's pause for a moment. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians aren't Jews, but he's already taught them. Jewish life. He's already, by example, brought them into the life of celebrating Pesach. So that they have not only experiential familiarity with it, but they have understanding so they can read about it and make connections. They can think about it and make connections. And I can tell you this, there are some people who will think, if if you came from a Christian background, that it's a waste of time for you to keep Passover. In the same way that there are people who thought it was a waste of oil. Do you see? Every one of us will have our opportunity to be misunderstood and criticized by others who will think that our acts of service, obedience, ministry, generosity to the Lord are wastes when in fact the Lord takes them personally. You brought me a glass of water. I brought you a glass of water. Yeah, when you brought him one, you brought me one. You visited me in prison. I visited you in prison. Yeah, when you visited him. That criminal? Mm-hmm. You visited me. I took it personally. Yeshua is saying, when you do these things in my name for me, I take it personally. Other people may consider it a waste of precious resources. I know what it is. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, therefore, let us keep Pesach. Do you understand how radical the text is? It's not comfortable. But it says it clearly. Now, I'm not trying to twist this to make it say what it doesn't say. I'm just trying to let it say what it does say. 
so that we can let the Word of God activate us and encourage us. Keep Pesach. Not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread. Well, what's the name of unleavened bread? Matzah. So why doesn't it just say matzah? But with the matzah of sincerity and truth. Get rid of the chametz. That makes sense if you have the experience of doing it at home. Messiah, our Passover lamb, that makes sense. Keep the festival. It's Pesach. Matzah is matzah. So we see here that the Corinthians were brought into the Jewish world of the apostles and disciples, and the reason is there wasn't any other world to bring them into. They were Jewish apostles. They were Jewish disciples who were sharing the good news. Now, we look at these things, and it should encourage us. It should encourage us to continue on, to keep doing what we're doing, to not be afraid, to not be ashamed, to not be discouraged if other people think it's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of resources. It's not legalism unless Paul and Yeshua are terrible legalists. And they're not. So you can be sure of this. If you want to be messianic, it means following in the life of your master, Yeshua. And his life was visible. We can look at it. It was documented. We can read about it. We can study it. It's unambiguous. I want to encourage you because I believe that you're going to have opportunity to be criticized. Blow it off. Don't even worry about it. But more importantly, you're going to have an opportunity in the days and the weeks and the months ahead to extravagantly worship the Lord, to do something that other people wouldn't understand. But you understand because the Spirit of God in you leads you to do it. And I just want to encourage you, do it. Be faithful to God. Do what he shows you to do. And let him give you joy and share in the joy with you. It's a great experience. And I can tell you this. When you do that, when you walk in that kind of joyful, extravagant worship, serving, ministering, Uh, with that simple kind of obedience, even when others think it's too much, you enter into that same kind of joy that the woman had who poured the oil on Yeshua. Yeshua said, she did what she could for me. And no one will ever forget what she did. The fact that we're sitting here, standing here, talking about her is proof. We still haven't forgotten what she did. Well, I want to pray for you and and your service to the Lord that it would grow and expand. It would come from the depths of your heart and it would even cross boundaries so that God would use you to be extravagant in worshiping him and serving him. Lord, we thank you for Pesach. We thank you for redemption. We thank you for deliverance from bondage. We thank you for new life. Thank you for resurrection life. And we thank you for what's ahead. We pray, Lord, as we anticipate Shavuot, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
and the remembering as well of the giving of Torah. We, we anticipate, Lord, that you're going to pour your spirit into us and fill us again and fill us anew. You're going to pour out gifts upon us, spiritual gifts. You're going to empower us. You're going to give of yourself into us and fill us up so that we who are like broken flasks will be filled up with something precious and much more costly than perfume. And then use us, Lord, that we who are full could then pour out blessing on others. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we leave, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And we're also going to take a moment. We want to pray for Joseph and Grace Torado. Uh, Dr. Joseph is in town right now, yesterday, and today he's having interviews. He's a board-certified emergency room physician, and they had moved away to Quincy, and now they are looking to move back, and God willing, um, he will have favor and a good job offer to work in his uh, special field. And so we're praying that uh, he'll get great offers uh, and that they will be able to move back here to uh, Jacksonville with their family and their growing family, one more coming, uh, due on Shovel Oat. So, Lord, we lift up Joseph and Grace to you and their family, and we pray that you would pour out favor upon them and that you would give him success as he's interviewing and give him wonderful offers so that they could return to Jacksonville. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Chag Sameach.